Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. Today it's Ask Harry Anything Day, and we have some questions in advance, but we're going to run out, so this is your chance to ask um, questions while you watch. The first question is uh, not one I was expecting. How many languages do you speak? Well, I speak a little bit of, uh, in addition to English, of course, I speak a lot of English. I speak a little French, a little German, Dabo Yabo Kabound Abba Blabangabich. That's Ab language for those of you who are intimate with such things. That's a pretend language, which you put ab in between the syllables. Um, I speak uh, Morse code, but that's not a language. Let's see, German, a bit, a bit of French, more Spanish and German than anything else, but I have a hard time following it when it's spoken to me. I can read them better than I can uh, try to carry on a conversation. The question goes on, does only knowing one language limit one's enjoyment of the world? Gosh, I hope not. No, I, I don't think it does. There's an advantage to knowing multiple languages. Ayn Rand knew four, and she said that it helped with understanding concepts, appreciating concepts, but we don't need that help anymore because she gave it to us. So... There's a certain advantage to it, and I probably know enough of the other languages to get that advantage. Now, then he asks in parenthesis the real question. Does language affect your thinking? No. The form of language does not affect your thinking. How much of your language you use can make your thinking more refined, but there's, I wonder if the questioner is alluding to Benjamin Worf, W-H-O-R-F, and the Worfian hypothesis, which is that your thinking is determined by your language, which is completely not true. And there are many myths about language. Let me, let me expatiate on that. So if you didn't know the word expatiate, you couldn't say that. The Eskimos... We've all heard the Eskimos have five, 10, 15 different words for snow. No, they don't. They don't. And we have ways of saying different kinds of snow, uh, just like they do. Um, there are certain words that are untranslatable into other languages. Well, word for word, yes. But Descriptive phrase for word? No. There's no fact of reality that can't be expressed in any regular language. Does language determine your thinking? No. Your thinking determines your language. Your choice is to think or not to think. And under that, as a specification of that, there's the choice of wording for your thoughts. I am probably the world's biggest crusader for accuracy in the language you use your state to state your thoughts. 
that's a matter of choice. And the words you use make a tremendous difference. Let me give you an example from the headlines. Every time there's a news event, there's some word of choice that all the journalists pick up. With the Wagner Rebellion in Russia, do you remember what the word is? Chaos. There's chaos. Putin is dealing with chaos. Brzezhogin is sowing chaos. It's chaos all the time. Well, what if that word chaos were rephrased as force? The issue is rule by force. Those who live by the sword shall die for the sword, by the sword. A struggle for power. Power wouldn't be too bad, except you have to distinguish economic power from political power. It's political power that the struggles are about. It's not chaos. Chaos is what happens when your window is open and a big gust of wind comes in and blows the papers all around. That's chaos temporarily. The issue in Russia is the insecurity of force, of the rule by force. A dictator has the tiger by the tail. And now the tiger is turning on Putin, which may be a good thing or may be a bad thing. I think Prizhogin, if I've got his name right, is probably worse than Putin. He's probably more brutal. At least one picks that up in the media if you can trust the media, I don't know. But the number one consideration of a dictator, and this applies to all uh, dictators, real dictators, is staying in power because if they're toppled, not only is that something they don't want, but they can well be killed. Many of them are. Even in recent times, Ceausescu in Romania was killed when the fall of the wall occasioned his demise when he lost his, the support of the Red Army. So uh, dictators are not, you know, th this, I'm glad you gave me this opportunity to expatiate on it. People say, well, we need talks. We need diplomacy. We need to get them to understand our point of view and we understand their point of view. Their point of view is they will kill anybody they need to the dictators to stay in power so they won't be killed and they can continue to assuage their terrible anxieties that they led them to seek power in the first place. So it's not that love brings understanding, understanding brings peace. If we really understood what's going on in the mind of Putin or Kim Il-sung or um, even Xi, who's pretty much a dictator in China, we would know that this talking is pointless. Talking has never solved anything. So um, the language you use like chaos versus force greatly affects the circuits in the brain that are activated. 
I don't mean that in a deterministic way. I mean, when you turn to think, well, what do I think about what's going on in Ukraine? If the word that pops to your mind is chaos, or actually in Russia, Rostov on something, uh, the Don Basin, when if you think chaos, well, you think, I hope it settles down. If you think it's force, that there's a power struggle involving deadly force among the leaders, then you know that it's not going to settle down. And there could be a good outcome for the U.S. if it would lend its moral authority to the cause of freedom. And at least stopping the aggression on the Ukraine, stopping the slaughter of innocent people in Ukraine. So language does not affect your thinking, except in that sense, the sense that your knowledge is stored in language. And if you get a nearby word for what you're thinking about, rather than the exact word, it won't key as many valuable connections. So uh, your language that you that your thinking files information in affects its retrieval. You know, from the computer, if you have a document and you put it in the wrong folder, it's not going to be easily accessible. You're going to forget. I I do anyway. Forget where it is. It's not as accessible. If you put it in the right folder, then it's easily activated, and you think more. Fertilely. Let me give you an example, uh, another example. People want access to medical care. All the time we hear people need access. What does access mean? Now, suppose you phrase that in terms of the actual meaning, people want to get medical services without paying for them. That's a little different. Um, in medicine, single payer. Do you think there should be a single payer? Yeah, it sounds kind of uh, efficient, having a lot of different payers. That would be chaos, wouldn't it? But if you say socialist medicine, I don't even say socialized, it's socialist medicine that the single payer, the term single payer represents. Government stranglehold on medicine, government guns at the brains of doctors, nurses, health professionals, government robbing taxpayers to support other people against the taxpayer's choice and will and property rights. That puts a little different spin on it than single payer. Why don't I take up one more? I'm on a roll here. Climate change. Climate change. Used to be called global warming. Remember those days? Global warming to climate change. Why did that happen? Well, with climate change, anything that happens can be ascribed. Oh, you see, it's climate change. There was a lot of rain in Peru. That's climate change. There was no rain 
in uh, Zanzibar, that's climate change. It was very cold, that's climate change. It was very hot, that's climate change. The only thing that they lose on is if nothing ever changes, which it, it's always changing. Climate is always changing. So what they really mean is global warming. But after all these years, and you know, uh, I started hearing, hearing about global warming in 1970, and I've shown on the air this, the January 1970 issue of Newsweek magazine, which was the first time that global warming had been voiced. Then there was the meeting in Congress, the congressional session on global warming, which astutely they chose to hold in the middle of summer. And you know what year that was, the, the uh, global warming congressional hearings? 1988. What is that, uh, 35 years ago? Yeah, 35 years ago. And I think it's a little warmer, maybe. But if you say climate change, it takes the sting out of the fact that there hasn't been any global warming to that you care about. And there, uh, every time there's an event like a hurricane, which has nothing to do incidentally with climate change, hurricanes, certainly not with warming, which evens out the temperature between the poles and the tropics and therefore takes energy away from hurricanes. So climate change is, a, is an example of language affecting your thinking, but you can beat it. You've got free will. You can do what I did. You can think about it. Is it possible Ayn Rand's ideas can change the culture absent any academic credibility? Seems like they have to some extent already. That is her ideas have changed the culture already. Yeah, I would say so. You know, the recent set of uh, three good Supreme Court decisions. Well, you want to know which three. There were two that came out on the same day. And uh, uh, they. what did they have to do with? Uh, I don't think, the, I don't know if it was the affirmative action one. And um, I forget what the other two was. I interviewed uh, Larry Salzman about them, and my aged brain can't bring up what the specific things were, but they're a spate of good decisions. And you know who is arguing this deci these decisions to the court? The Pacific Legal Foundation, headed by litigation director Larry Salzman, objectivist. The Institute for Justice, the litigation director, the other big gun for legal foundations that, that work to protect individual rights. Daniel Berliner, another objectivist. And I think right there we see the ideas of objectivism winning. You don't face the draft. Why is that? Well, there were two people, Martin Anderson, and Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan at that time was a true blue objectivist, a close personal friend of Ayn Rand's. And Martin Anderson was, you know, at least nearby, if not a total objectivist. 
So uh, there, those are like the most striking examples in the political world of the influence of objectivism. But your question is, can Ayn Rand's ideas change? That's, you know, we're, it's not like things are coming up roses. Change the culture absent any academic credibility. Well, let me tell you what Ayn Rand said on that. She said, and this is privately, she said she thought that the way objectivism would get into the universities is from outside. That is, student demand for someone to teach these ideas would grow until it would be an irresistible force. Now we're observing another thing that she couldn't predict, which is the possible destruction in the good sense of the universities through the internet. It's now learning is so much better on the internet, watching YouTube videos or whatever, than it is in universities that uh, it's a question whether we need to have people in academia. We have some, we have you know four or five really solid objectivists in philosophy departments. But there's very little headway made there. There's some. When I was going to college, you couldn't mention Ayn Rand's name. Professors were saying things like, I'll flunk anyone who writes a paper on Ayn Rand. They actually said that. And now it's just a tired smile that they give you. Oh, that's not philosophy. And that's fine because we think what they're doing is not philosophy. So um, I don't know the answer to that, but I don't think it's a one-to-one -one issue. Well, until and unless we get 10 times more people in academia and philosophy departments, we can't do anything. We've already done things. And uh, I don't know that the outside academia world isn't now more influential than the inside academia world. Daniel says there was also a court decision forbidding the Biden administration from talking to social media companies. In other words, threatening them. Yeah, that was, I don't believe that was a Pacific Legal Foundation case. Here's the, the third question. Isn't consciousness just a simulation running in our brain? No. Jab a pin into your hand. Is that a simulation running in your brain? And in terms of, you know, getting the right words, what do you mean by simulate? What do you mean by consciousness? What do you mean by a simulation? A simulation of what? A simulation of reality? We got reality right there. Sending light into our eyes, sending sound vibrations into our ears pressure on our pachinian corpuscles in our skin, stretching the muscle spindles in our muscle. We already got reality. We don't need a simulation of reality. And running in our brain, what do you mean running? 
Running is something that programs do. And what is a program? Do you ever think to ask that? What is a program? A program is a set of inputs to a bunch of ultimately transistors now that shunt current around between high and low voltage. And by a clever setup, can light pixels on a monitor or not light them and light them in this color or that color and can send impulses to a printer if you've got a printer. So the computer isn't running anything. I mean, that's a metaphor. What's happening is that currents are coursing through and we can interpret the results of that to mean one thing or another. When the stoplight sign changes from don't walk to walk, is that the sign telling you something? No, that is a mechanical, electrical, optical, electrical result of the laws of physics. When the old fashioned adding machines, you would punch in numbers and then pull the handle. I've done that as a researcher in psychology, believe it or not. Was that running a simulation of addition or division? No. It was gears rubbing against gears and turning other gears in a clever, cleverly set up way that pushed certain wheels to, with numbers on them into certain positions that you could interpret to mean something. So it's the computer that doesn't simulate. The simulation is a human perspective on what's happening. If you think of, let's say you've got a video game and what you see is a guy with a sword running around bashing people, okay? What's actually going on outside of your consciousness? Pixels are being lit and darkened in three different uh, uh, categories, red, green, and blue, the color hues to various extents. There's no game in there. The computer isn't running, uh, metaphor aside, it isn't running a simulation of battle. It's been set up so that the pixels light in a way that you can look at and say, hey, that's a person there swinging a sword. That's not in the computer. So to then turn around and say, isn't consciousness just a simulation when a simulation is an act of consciousness? It depends on an act of consciousness. Uh, it's like the cruder version is when people say, isn't consciousness just a superstition or a myth or a meaningless word? These are, have been popular statements. Well, Unfortunately, meaningfulness, myths, and imagination of uh, superstition are all phenomena of consciousness. A superstition is a kind of belief without foundation in 
science or even evidence, a um, simulation is likewise a presentation of patterns of lights and darks that mean something to a human being. Do you think books think? When you go into the library, are you quiet because the books are talking to each other? All they have is patterns of ink. We know how to decode those patterns to get to the idea in the mind of the person who encoded them. But all there is in the books is patterns of ink. And all there is in the simulation is patterns of pixel lightings on the screen. So there is no simulation aside from your interpretation through your mind of that pattern on the um, computer monitor or whatever form it takes. So no. Now, what do you mean our brain? How do you know you have a brain? Well, uh, I know that. You know that? Is that just a simulation? To even have the concept of brain and think it has something to do with your awareness of the world, you have to use your awareness of the world so you can't equate the physical stuff scientists discovered. You know, Aristotle thought the brain was an organ for heating the, uh, cooling the blood with some justice because it's got all those like veins for which would dissipate heat. So it's not, you can't take as well. The axiom is the brain is the organ of thought. We know that. And the axiom is computers run simulation. But am I conscious? Consciousness is the axiom. Other things are discoveries with your mind of facts of reality. When I say consciousness is the axiom, it's the second axiom. The first axiom is it is. There it is. Existence exists. That's the first axiom. The second axiom is I am conscious of it. I'm conscious of what is. What is, is, and I am aware of it. So we're at 427. Is there any new question that came in or should I just? Uh, no more questions. No new questions. Okay. Um, I thought I might talk a little bit about uh, things that would irritate some of the audience, like Donald Trump. Uh, but I don't think there's time to do him justice. But so I'll just tell you my conclusion. He's awful. He's the anti-conceptual mentality. He's a thug. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have any ideas. He, he doesn't lie. He doesn't know the difference between lie and truth. Now, I speak of one who, in a moment of weakness, voted for Donald Trump in the last election because I was afraid that Biden was going to pack the Supreme Court, and I thought that would be the end. But then Trump trumped anything Biden could do with the fantasy of the election fraud and egging on the January 6th insurrectionists. And I rescinded my vote. 
you can't really, but that's what I said. I rescinded my vote. So I'm not, you know, I, I don't come to this position out of some kind of prejudice. I came to this position by observing the course of events. And uh, with that thought, I can, I hope, uh, give pause to some of you, let's say, to reconsider if you're a supporter of Trump, that you're hastening the demise of the country. You're removing any credible opposition to the leftists. So please don't do that anymore. Thank you very much. Uh, I will see you next week on HBTV.